The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello, welcome to Life Matters. I'm Brendan O'Connell, your host. Uh, today we have with us a spe special guest from the Mass Family Institute, Michael King, who's the Director of Community Alliances. And there's been lots going on in Massachusetts when it comes to um, the family and uh, the dissolution of the family uh, nationwide uh, with uh, fewer and fewer children being raised with uh, two two intact parents, biological parents. We'll talk a little bit about that, but first we want to welcome Michael. Well, thank you, Michael, for being on our show today. Well, it's great to be with you. Uh, Michael, uh, what is the purpose and goal of Mass Family Institute? So Massachusetts Family Institute is um, the local associate of Focus on the Family. So perhaps uh, your viewers have heard of Dr. James Dobson from Focus on the Family. Uh, you know, 40 years ago, we had a vision that every state would have a Paul Revere, if you will, to sound the alarm uh, when it comes to public policy that would have a direct impact on the family, uh, but also on the sanctity of life, on religious liberty. And um, so, you know, we've really been playing a central role here uh, in Massachusetts to, you know, help parents understand what's going on at your state house, what's going on at your school which I know we'll be talking about today, um, and really just being that resource for families and, and also to the local church uh, to understand, you know, what, what is going on at your school, what's going on in your local government. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, recently you had uh, what I guess I would call a, a big victory in, in the city of Worcester, Mass. Can you tell us about that, what, what the genesis of it was? Because I know that for years uh, Life Matters has had on people fighting the sex ed Thing, usually from Massachusetts Citizens for Life. Uh, what, what's gone on in Worcester recently? Yeah, so back in February of 2019, uh, we received a phone call from uh, a wonderful lady uh, named Louise in Worcester. And, you know, she said, look, can you guys put together some parents and, and others to come and support us at the school committee meeting? Uh, they want to try and get Planned Parenthood's uh, Get Real um, pornographic, explicit sex education passed in the city of Worcester. And um, so we said, of course, you know, we'll come and rally the troops. So we were able to get 80 people to come to that school committee meeting. And, you know, we just read straight out of the curriculum that Planned Parenthood deems as age appropriate and medically accurate. And, uh, you know, we just take issue with that. And since we don't, we don't think Planned Parent really understands what is age appropriate, what is medically accurate when it comes to gender, when it comes to uh, orientation, when it comes to abstinence, uh, you know, when it comes to all these important issues that, that students are dealing with uh, these days. So we just read straight out of uh, the curriculum, and, um, you know, I, I remember reading for three minutes out of a, a uh, the, the worksheet was called Redefining Abstinence, if you can imagine. So, um, you know, we, we understand abstinence as a, a two-word definition, right, to abstain. Uh, but this was a 
phrase definition, and I, I won't even go into the, the, the different descriptions, but it, it would blow your viewers' minds uh, what they consider abstinence. And so because of the word of our testimony, just shedding light on this, uh, we, we, we defeated Planned Parenthood in 2019 in Worcester, which I, t I keep telling people is the second largest city, not only in Massachusetts, but also in New England. Um, and so Planned Parenthood, as you can imagine, was quite upset and uh, really didn't see that coming. And so back in May of 2021, so not that long ago, the school committee voted five to two against the will of the people, against the majority will of the people, against the 70% of the school system that lives under the poverty line that did not want pornographic sex ed in their schools. And I told them back in May when they made this vote, I said, look, you can go, you can go ahead and go against the will of the people of Worcester, but you're going to experience the largest opt-out movement in the history of Massachusetts and now that's coming true. Um, so uh, right now, you can read this in the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. They just had a great article last week. 2,970 children have now opted out of pornographic sex ed in the Worcester Public Schools. And, um, you know, we're not even two months into the school year. And so that, that number of 3,000 children is only going to increase and uh, you know by law the school needs to provide alternative lessons and alternative uh, places for these 3,000 children to go so um, we don't know how the school is necessarily going to deal with that in terms of providing proctors and alternative curriculum uh, it'll be interesting to see but hopefully the school does what would make common sense and they go back to the drawing board and say you know what people don't want this uh, and so, you know, what would you like uh, us to teach? That would be actually um, quite an understanding uh, question, you know, to, to, uh, to ask the parents, and we hope it comes to that. Would uh, they have the resources to provide? Would, would they be teaching uh, more math or more English versus uh, teaching, quote-unquote, sex ed? Uh, would, would Worcester have those kinds of funds to do that, or is it... Um, or are they taking funds out of the uh, sex ed group and using those funds to, to provide for math and English? Yeah, we don't know uh, exactly, you know, uh, what's going to happen there. You know, as far as I understand, I, I think the budget is, is actually pretty good. I think a lot of these schools have been pretty well funded, both on a state level and a federal level. Um, I think it's been difficult, like with many businesses, to find teachers and, and you know, people that are willing to come in and, and work at the school. Um, so my guess is they're going to have a shortage of employees because 3,000 kids is a lot of kids um, to, to oversee. Um, and, you know, just to put this in perspective, you know, normally in Worcester, there's like five to 10 kids that opt out every year when it comes to sex ed. So that's a, quite a difference, five to 10 kids compared to 3,000 kids. Um, so where are they going to, I don't think it's a money issue. I, I think it really is a, a human resource issue. And, you know, we're not meaning to cause problems for the school. It's just that the school caused this problem and we told them they were causing this problem. And they chose to ignore it. Do the committee people now feel the heat then from uh, this uh, large group opting out uh, from uh, sex ed? 
I think so. Um, you know, there, if, if, if the current school committee race in, in Worcester is any indication of that, I would say absolutely. Uh, there's a lady running, uh, Chanel Soucy. Uh, she's an African-American woman. She grew up in Worcester. She's got three boys. All three boys went through the Worcester public school system. She grew up in that 70% of Worcester that represents the, the uh, school population, which lives in poverty or under the poverty line. Um, but she just happens to be against the sex ed curriculum. You know, she thinks it's pornographic. She thinks it's explicit. And, um, you know, her numbers, I mean, she has a, she has a very real chance of, uh, of winning a school committee seat. She's running for school committee there in, in Worcester. And she's, uh, you know, as of November 2nd, uh, got a real opportunity there to be a, a dynamic voice and, you know, it's interesting because uh, if you look at, you know, the uh, social media, you know, she's the one that's getting horribly attacked, uh, you know, smeared. And she's, you know, the nicest woman in the world. I mean, here's here's a woman that at age 14 uh, had her first child out of wedlock uh, at 15, found herself homeless. Uh, yet she uh, worked to finish high school. She ultimately opened up her own barber shop in Worcester. Uh, that she owned for nine years, and then she became uh, a licensed electrician. Uh, and none of her boys have become statistics. She's she's raised them. She's she leads a, a hope for Worcester ministry that reaches out to the homeless and provides uh, food and 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 clothing. Um, so here's just a a woman that you know you would think the woke uh school committee would be just celebrating but instead they want to tear her apart because uh she thinks that planned parenthood and their and advocates for youth are advocating for pornographic sex ed is it uh now uh, two questions one is uh, at what age are they teaching uh these kids sex ed or what 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 age are they trying to indoctrinate them uh and the the other question is Brian Kamika mentioned to me years ago about he had made a mistake uh, regarding opt-in versus opt-out. In other words, if parents were to see the curriculum first and then opt-in, it's, it's, there'd probably be far fewer people taking sex ed classes than the difficulty of opting out where a, a child might be uh, looked down upon by his children peers because his parents opted out. What, what do you have to say for those uh, two issues? Yeah, so your first uh, question is a, is a really good one. You know, what is the age of these kids? Um, so when we had all these school committee meetings, you know, we were being told, hey, this is only going to be, you know, what, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. You know, this is where sex ed is going to be taught. Uh, and it wasn't until really the last school, school committee meeting that all of a sudden the school committee members that were for this were saying, no, this is actually going to be kindergarten through 12th grade. So if you, you know, and, and your viewers, if they're interested, you know, you can always uh, go to a search engine and look up uh, things like the gender unicorn, for example, that's taught as, as uh, early as preschool that teaches uh, five different spectrums of gender identity where there's, you know, 70 different options of what you can be regarding gender. Um, you know, if that's not indoctrination, uh, you know, and, and thinking that four-year-olds are going to understand what a spectrum is, uh, that's just unbelievable. And this is considered medically accurate, you know, that, that you can have 50 different genders. Um, you know, it's, it's, it blows one's mind, really, to, to think this is what we're teaching four-year-olds. 
let alone middle schools. So, um, so a lot of people in Worcester were very upset that um, they were teaching us as young as kindergarten. You know, and 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 having kindergartners, you know, diagram, uh, you know, the the reproductive body parts, right, of um, of the human body. So at, at four years old, at five years old, you know, learning about the reproductive body parts. I mean, I think we can wait until a little later in life. I don't think we we should be too concerned about. Uh, kindergartners uh, getting pregnant. Um, so I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, but your your second question there was um, the opt-in and the opt-out. You know, I mean, for years they pushed for, um, you know, people on the conservative side would push for an opt-in. Uh, and of course, we would all love to see an opt-in, right? Um, that, that if you really want sex ed, that you'll go the to the extent of opting your child in, right, as opposed to 100% of kids just automatically being put in the class, and now you have to do the research to get yourself out of the class. Um, and, and also to say that, look, 3,000 kids have already opted out of sex ed. You know, the Worcester Public Schools have made this, uh, you would think they'd make it fairly easy for parents to get out, uh, but they haven't. So, so that 3,000 number is even more impressive when you understand just how difficult the Worcester schools have made it for parents to uh, opt their kids out as well. So, um, you know, we're stuck with the opt out, but, you know, it is the law. And um, now Worcester's got to deal with the consequences of, of all these parents uh, wanting out. And uh, finally, in this topic, uh, how can you, you've had a successful uh, start in Worcester. How can you take this and bring it to other cities and towns? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, when you and I were talking before the show, uh, we're already seeing this organically spill over into the, into the town of Millbury. Um, you know, there's a parent in Millbury called me the other day, said they already collected enough signatures to recall in a special election the school committee members that voted for this same explicit pornographic sex education in Worcester. So, um, you know, we didn't have anything to do with that in Millbury other than what we were doing in Worcester inspired these parents in Millbury. And now they're not only going to be doing a, a recall of their school committee, but they're also going to be doing an opt-out of the three R's, um, you know, explicit curriculum down there. So um, I think we're already seeing it spill over. And, you know, Massachusetts Family Institute has been speaking at churches uh, over the past five years, building networks in the majority of towns and cities uh, in, in Massachusetts. And so now we can take this very encouraging story that happened in the second largest city uh, in New England. And I think people are just going to be super encouraged, say, you know what, if it can happen in Worcester, it can happen anywhere. Um, and, you know, Worcester, it just took a handful of, of, of upset moms. Uh, you know, we probably had three or four upset Hispanic moms and one upset African-American mom. And, uh, you know, they collaborated together and, um, this is this is what we've got now in Worcester. And, you know, it should also be mentioned that we're, we're seeing the Catholic Church and the Evangelical Church in, in Worcester work hand-in-hand hand, uh, in a way we've not seen in a while on a local level, which has also been super encouraging. So we have 16 parishes and 25 Evangelical churches that have joined this movement as well. Oh, very good. I wanted to move on to another uh, subject, and that has to do with um, physician-assisted suicide. Massachusetts was, has been deemed as low-hanging fruit, although the, they lost when there was a, a referendum several years ago. In a big upset, uh, the, the pro-life community came out very strong 
Uh, what's going on? Now, they're using a different tactic now. They're going through the legislature and what you've testified on this recently. What's what's been happening there? Yeah, well, as you mentioned, uh, they lost the referendum only by one or two percentage points in 2012. And, um, you know, now they, they've been pushing this uh, ever since, actually, trying to get it passed legislatively. And, um, you know, we've been working with national organizations like the Patients' Rights Action Fund, um, which has really been doing a fantastic job, uh, you know, getting information. And then, you know, we can put it out to our church network and, and have people call and uh, as I mentioned earlier, there was a hearing, a virtual hearing on the physician-assisted suicide bill recently. Um, and, you know, we had probably half, if not more, uh, people that were opposed to physician-assisted suicide on the call. Several uh, immigrant pastors, you know, got on. And it's, it's interesting to talk about the immigrant pastors and just the immigrant population because when you look at states like Oregon and Washington, you know, that have passed uh, physician-assisted suicide, you know, the, the rate, if you look at it demographically, it's always 95% or higher of uh, the people that actually advocate, that actually use physician-assisted suicide are Caucasian. Um, so, you know, not that we you know, necessarily like to look at, at things through the eyes of, of demographics, if you will, but but it is interesting, uh, you know, and, and the, it's, it really is the immigrant community uh, that is highly against this because it affects them uh, to, a, to a large degree, uh, but even ideologically, they don't, they don't want it. Um, you know, we, we saw a young mom uh, in her early 40s, a lady named Stephanie Packer, show up at the um, state house and you know she's a mom of four she's got cancer she lives in california and she uh, needed chemotherapy and you know because in california they've okayed physician assisted suicide you know they said look we're not going to pay for your chemotherapy it's too it's too expensive even for a 43 year old mom of four but um you know what, what we will pay for is the uh the suicide drugs that you can take that'll end your life and put you out of your misery uh, and she said, well, how much are those? And the insurance company said, well, those are $1.20 for the copay. Um, and that really is the story in a nutshell. It, it is, it's always been, uh, you know, just history repeats itself, right? There's nothing new under the sun that, you know, uh, money is, a, is the, the greed of money is the root of all evil. And uh, we're seeing that with this bill that, you know, insurance companies are saying, you know what, let's save some money. And, you know, Stephanie Packer needs to die. Stephanie Packer needs to die so that we can afford to uh, hire 10 more teachers, you know, or whatever the, whatever the uh, ideology is. And did you feel that the Zoom meeting or however the meeting was conducted was uh, successful on our side? Would it convince any of the legislators who in Massachusetts are quite liberal? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately in Massachusetts, you know, I was, I was talking to one rep uh, after this most recent election, and, you know, he was mentioning that, you know, the, I think the 20 new representatives in the House, you know, are, are, are from a socialist mindset. Um, so we didn't help ourselves at all regarding just the, the mindset of the represent of the 160 representatives in the House of Representatives in Massachusetts. Um, having said that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think this particular bill is going to come up for a vote for some time. Um, you know, it hasn't passed for quite some time uh, since 2012, of course. Um, 
you know, we had the majority opinion on the hearing, so that might surprise people, you know, that, you know, but, but look, I mean, if, if you look at these hearings, you know, like in Worcester, you know, we had the majority opinion, you know, it's, and I always tell people, like in Massachusetts, you're not alone and you're not crazy for having a, a worldview uh, that, you know, we would consider a biblical worldview, right, um, you, that you value the sanctity of life, that you value religious liberty, um, and, you um, we keep seeing on a local level, even at the state house, that we have the majority. I mean, even before the infanticide uh, bill was passed into law, uh, we outnumbered Planned Parenthood. We had more red shirts uh, for life at the state house than Planned Parenthood did in their backyard of Boston. So, um, you know, in, in, in the people, the majority uh, is still, I believe, um, conservative on this issue. Uh, but so for some reason in our state house, the, that, that's not the case. Speaking of the infanticide issue, there's a, uh, a, an, an initiative petition uh, that uh, Bernadette Lyons is heading up. Uh, is, are you working with her to get your church's uh, signatures, and how is that going? Yeah, so um, from what I understand, it's going well. Um, you know, I, the, the, I think they need to collect 120,000 unique signatures um, because I think they need about 80,000 uh, at the end of the day. Uh, to put a question on the ballot, uh, yeah, in, in, in 2022, um, so that, you know, so the local public, I mean, look, the, it's interesting because the ballot question is not asking to repeal the infanticide, uh, law. Uh, what it's asking to do is just to give medical care to babies that are born alive after a failed abortion. I mean, who can, who can argue with that? I mean, even if we were successful in having this, uh, uh, added back, in, having the safeguards back into the law, because basically what they did is they took all the safeguards out of the law so that now we're just relying on the abortion doctor to make the right choice should a baby be born alive after a failed abortion. Um, so even if we win on this, you know, we're, we're still, we're still going to be dealing with late-term abortion in Massachusetts. It's just that in the case that there's a failed abortion and the baby lives, well, the law should have a safeguard for that baby to say, hey, you need to resuscitate that human being. You need to help that human being have the best chance at life. Um, so, you know, many might argue this doesn't even go far enough, but I mean, how, how can we, you know, how can the residents of Massachusetts argue with this petition, which is basically just saying, hey, in a failed abortion, you're just going to let the baby die? Like, is that really how we're going to treat little babies here uh, who are born in Massachusetts? Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. it's horrific. It certainly is. And, um, you know, the only uh, safeguard I see, because the abortionist is, he had failed if the, if the baby was born alive. He failed, so he wants the baby killed, or the mother wants the baby killed. And uh, the only safeguard I would see is if there were other um, medical professionals who felt uh, had the conscience to o override that saying hey you need to put give this baby uh, you know treatment safeguards and that sort of thing I, I wanted to ask you about um, the COVID-19 religious exemption uh, what's going on there in Massachusetts and uh, uh, and I guess Charlie Baker has been kind of forcing folks to uh, to get exemptions or lose their jobs. I mean, get COVID yeah. uh, jabs or, or lose their jobs. What, 
Where, where, where do you see this all going, or, or where, it, where it has been, and uh, is there any hope for those that are, who don't want to take uh, a vaccine? Yeah, we, we definitely find ourselves in interesting times on this issue. Uh, you know, I think that uh, definitely this is the number one request that comes into our office right now, um, you know, because it's a, it's a religious liberty issue when we're talking about the religious exemption. Um, you know, one interesting point to make uh, as, we, as we start talking about this is um, there was a virtual hearing on, there, so there's a bill that wants to take away your religious exemption here in Massachusetts, right? Um, and I think your viewers would be encouraged to know that there were 400 people that showed up for that virtual hearing. 400 people showed up for the virtual hearing online. Now that's, maybe, maybe that doesn't sound like a big number. That's a big number when it comes to people showing up for a hearing. And 90% of the people that spoke, 90% of those 400 people were for preserving the religious exemption. Uh, so again, that might surprise people, but 90% of those that showed up want to preserve the religious exemption. So again, we're seeing the same thing I've been talking about, which is when you look at the people, okay, not, not the ideologue representatives, when you look at the people, you know, you keep seeing these numbers that actually support religious liberty and support the sanctity of life. Um, so be encouraged, number one, by that, but number two, you know, what, what MFI uh, would say, or, you know, as a, our general counsel, uh, you know, would, would say, now, I in no way am an attorney, but, uh, you know, these issues are more for, for an attorney. Um, one of the pitfalls that people might find themselves falling into is that they, when they fill their religious exemption out, you know, they might be too personal, they might be too political, and they might jeopardize their religious uh, exemption because they're not um, filling it out as they should perhaps, you know, pe people need to understand. Um, so number one, you know, don't, don't be too personal. Don't be too political. Um, there's a, if, if people want to get in touch with us, um, people can actually text the word parent to seven, nine, seven, nine, seven, nine. And you'll get some very helpful information. Um, some, some sample uh, religious exemption letters, templates uh, that people can use. And I've heard back from people that they've been successful in preserving their religious exemption at work, um, even in places in Boston that you would have thought never would have, you know, accepted it, but it got accepted. Um, so people should be encouraged by that. You can text the word parent to 797979 uh, for that important information. Uh, but yeah, this is a, this is a real issue, uh, you know, and, and uh, many people are unfortunately losing their jobs uh, over it, as you know. Yeah. I've had on uh, Dr. Weldon of the Weldon Amendment, uh, who on a national, he's from Florida, he was a U.S. congressman at the time, and uh, he had the bill, that's called, the Weldon Amendment's about conscientious objection in the medical community, and I didn't realize how broad it was, because it's not only for doctors and nurses, but it's for medical companies that supply goods and all different facets of the medical community of, uh, um, and whether or not you object uh, to some of the things that are going on um, because of your religious beliefs. 
Well, Michael, well, something that people people should realize too, just to make a quick note, is that the law the law states, and again, I'm not an attorney, so this is not advice, but the law states that it's it's your sincerely held individual belief, right? So, like we hear these companies saying, "Oh, I need a signature from your your pastor," or we've had representatives get on, like at that virtual hearing in July, and say. The only uh, religion that would allow for uh, an exemption would be Scientology, you know, some, something so crazy like that. Or, um, you know, people saying, look, if you're Catholic, the Pope's come out and said, you know, go ahead and take the jab. Uh, you know, look, uh, you're, you're going to you're, your understanding of Catholicism is, is that every single Catholic is just going to do exactly what the Pope says, like. You know, it, it really is beyond the pale in terms of their ignorance of yeah. the understanding of, of people's faith. But again, it's a sincerely held individual belief. So um, what that means is you could be an atheist. You literally could be an atheist. But if you have a sincerely held belief, then that's what the law allows for. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being a guest on today's show and explaining all these things to us. We really appreciate it, and we hope that the general public gets out there and understands what you, the knowledge you have, and uh, that they can control their own destiny. And folks, we hope you found today's show to be unique, informative, content-rich, truthful, and thought-provoking. I'm Brendan O'Connell, your friend for life. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass. 02119, attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617 708 3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.